and welcome to the 2021 Christmas special of the Different Doctor Same Old Shit podcast. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, as ever, is Dr. Lee Questions. How you doing, Doc? I'm very well. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Christmas is coming and the black cockerel is getting fat. <laughs> um, the black so, cockerel, is that a Tottenham Hotspur reference, Doc? Um, no, it's a sacrifice reference. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Are Spurs represented by a black cockerel? Um, sure, on, on their badge, they've got like a black chicken or rooster or something like that. I, I don't believe I've ever uh, mm. inspected the um, the club insignia of, of, of Tottenham Hotspur very closely. Yeah. Um, I, assume, I assumed it would have a white deer on it. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sure the crest features some kind of black fowl of some sort, <laughs> which is rather ironic. <laughs> 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 um... How about you? How have you been doing? I've been all right, Doc. I've had a day off today. Um, just kind of potted around, really. Took the dog for a walk. Played a bit of PlayStation. Um, still kind of battling my way towards that fucking Crash Bandicoot 1 Platinum Trophy. <laughs> oh, God, it's so hard. But now I've only got one more level to, 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 to achieve gold status on. And the, and the deed is done. So I've got 25 at 26 done. I've got one, one last one. How long would you have to keep going at this before you began to suspect that you were suffering from obsessive compulsive disorder? <laughs> well, I think I'm already there, Doctor. To be honest, you know, I think um, I think people like me, you know, that, that are trophy hunters, platinum whores, whatever you want to call us. Um, yeah, there's de there's definitely that element of OCD. You know, you've just got to get it, no matter the pain. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just this kind of, it's just kind of uh, uh, completionist. That's the word I'm looking for. Completionist. Right. Yeah, just you know, I cannot accept Crash Bandicoot One being on my trophy list at like ninety eight percent. Not <laughs> gonna happen, Doc. It's gonna be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I need a. I think I need a doctor other than you. Well, um, I think probably you need to read. Uh, you, you need to read some Pareto, mate. Go on, tell me um, one. Oh, um, just the business of uh, getting used to the fact that eighty percent of the result uh, takes twenty percent of the effort, and the, oh, yeah. and the final twenty percent of the result takes eighty percent of the effort. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I've always considered myself in, in in terms of like physical practical tasks. I always refer to myself as like the 95% guy because I'll, I'll get I'll do 95% of it and that difficult last 5% I do oh fuck that can't be bothered with that <laughs> yeah yeah you're right um, Doc what's the plan for tonight right um, gentle listeners we are going to introduce you to um, a delightful parlor game mm -hmm. which we've invented and one of the reasons we're doing it is we hope you'll you'll enjoy listening to us play it. Just the same way that I always used to um, enjoy watching Mo play video games. <laughs> um, and also, we hope that you might take it away for yourselves and maybe play it with your friends um, over the Christmas and New Year period. Mm. Um, and the rules are very, very simple. Um, one person in, 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 in the group, or um, since it's a parlor game, I, I, I should say that the, the salon, really, shouldn't I, Mo? Mm. Um, one person in the group picks an article of popular culture 
um, and then picks another article of, of, of popular culture which cannot possibly have influenced the first part. And the challenge for the person who's been set this task um, is they have to explain how this one thing that couldn't possibly have influenced the second thing did in fact influence it. Well, by way of an example, I'm going to spend one minute trying to explain how Doctor Who Flux influenced the um, abandoned Jess Franco movie, Lake of the Zombies. Oh, brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, so, obviously, within the constraints of the game, Doctor Who Flux could not possibly have influenced Lake of the Zombies, because Lake of the Zombies is a good 30 years, <laughs> is approximately 40 years older. Yeah. Doctor Who Flux. Yeah. Um, so here is why it clearly did. Um, point number one, they're both pieces of crap. Um, mm -hmm. Very specifically, um, what Lake of the Zombies drew from Doctor Who Flux um, is something that tries hard to be hallucinatory um, and vaguely psychedelic. But it achieves this effect largely by incompetence. Now you said that Lake of the Zombies was an abandoned project. There is a Jess Frank, a, a Jesus Franco movie called Zombie Lake. team of basketball players, women, just simply disappeared in the lake, swallowed up by some ghosts. <laughs> Let's level, Mayor. I hope you don't really think ghosts killed them. Yes, that's what I think, in fact. I'm convinced of it. Me? I didn't see them. Do you think that if any one of us had seen those poor girls, we would have let them go out there and get killed? Don't you think we'd have told them to stay away from the lake? Oh, but, um... It's only been retrospectively credited to Jess Franco. What's so fucking brilliant about that film um, is that I think on about the fourth or fifth day of production, Jesus Franco decided that it was a piece of shit. Uh. Um, and um, he cut his losses and walked off the set, mm -hmm. um, uh, leaving it to be completed by none other, by, by none other than Jean Roland. Oh, oh well, ah, there we go. Yeah, another, another, um, another titan of the uh, titillation. Yeah. Yes, um, mm -hmm. which means that there exists a film which is actually a collaboration between uh, Jesus Franco or Jess Franco yeah. um, and Jean Roland, um, except they never actually worked on the stupid thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and as if, like, if you're a sensitive artist, like Jean Roland is, um, <laughs> it must be an existential blow to the ego, must it not? to be told that your career has gone so far down the pan that you're reduced to rescuing projects that Jesus fucking Franco has given up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, you're right, Doc. Let, let, me let, you in, let me let you into a little secret. Um, you know, from time to time, if for some reason you're not able to access 
it's called adult content on the internet zombie lake is available on youtube and that first five minutes doc let me tell you serves the purpose i'll say no more doc you you, you decode it it certainly does serve the purpose mm. um, <laughs> i particularly like the way that the exterior shots um are very clearly in a sort of not very nice brackish lake somewhere in the french countryside i know um, it, it, it doesn't exactly look exotic does it no it doesn't <laughs> no it um, really it, it could be netherton <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, um, I, I don't think there's like a um, a knackered pushchair or a, a shopping trolley or something no. like sticking out of it. But um, you you wouldn't take a look at that lake and think to yourself, "Hmm, nice place for a swim." Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, now, the the dockers kind of explained the format as was the plan, but it's not quite going to work that way. And here's the reason why: oh. it's Sunday. It's been my day off, and I did something foolhardy, Doc. I indulged in some afternoon cannabis. And what this means is that I wasn't really fully focused. I couldn't really pull it all together. I didn't do my homework, guys. So, nothing changes for the Doc. The Doc is going to... We're going to play the parlour game with the Docs. You know, what the Docs researched and, and what the Docs worked on. <laughs> my contribution to this Christmas special... I hope you're going to approve of this, by the way, Doc. Um, I'm going to give you highlights from the mighty Night of the Crabs by Guy N. Smith. Um, so I'm going to read out my favourite passages so far. I'm about two thirds of the way through the book. I've got to tell you, Doc, it's, it is it is getting close to being the, the best book I've ever read in my life. Um, I'm loving it so much interspersed throughout the next hour or so i'm going to drop some in doc so that's that, that's my christmas gift to the world what do we think about that well it might be a great christmas gift i'm going to make notes all the way through this episode yeah and um i'm more than halfway serious about this um i might take up an mba um because if we get a spike in listeners mm -hmm. after this episode um i will have everything i need to write a literally world-changing essay um, about social media marketing. And it is, if you want your podcast to become more popular, get mm -hmm. half of your content provider stoned first. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah. I've had a sleep since, so I should be okay. Um, but yeah, very, it's very real schoolboy era, actually. I, I never smoke weed during the day um, because it just kills the day. It just ruins the day um I, but but today i did rather foolishly um and so i've kind of come to i've come to this recording kind of half half baked in more than one sense of the word Doc. Sure. um do you want to kick us off Doc? What, what, what's your first what's your first offering <clears throat> well obviously we we, we sort of pre-agreed these so I'm, I'm 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 replying to your suggestions yeah um so if we were actually in the same room um and hopefully we, we we'd have charming company not that I don't have charming company now. I, I, I do have charming company now, <laughs> including all of you beautiful people at home. Yeah. Um, but um, I'd be in um, black tie, at least. No need to be any, uh, any more formal than that. Um, I'd hope to have a few sort of artists, models, um, lounging around languorously on some cushions in front mm. of the, the log fire. Um, and, you know, hopefully at least one sort of decadent aristocrat um hopefully like 
wearing um, wearing his hunting gear and swishing his crop around. <laughs> um, you did say crop there, didn't you? Though? Yes. Yeah. Good. Okay. Just to be sure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I, I I keep a fairly laid back salon. He he can probably like wave around what he likes. <laughs> probably amuse the ladies. Sure. Um, and then um, who else would there be? Um, I just probably some sort of shriveled, aging, borderline, demented, degenerate pervert mm. um, of, of, of by now indeterminate gender, like sure, um, sure. sat in a huge armchair, um, sort of cackling and occasionally responding with um, comments and possibly anecdotes that would make um, the output of Pasolini look tame by comparison. Stuff you, like that. Are you talking about Christopher Biggins? He'd be a candidate, wouldn't he? He certainly would, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, I I imagine that man would be an excellent after-dinner guest. I think you're right. Rack on the I mean, I imagine you'd want to finish eating before he started talking, because... <laughs> <laughs> it, could be, it could get stomach churning. <laughs> well, um... <laughs> <laughs> Being Christmas time, I particularly <laughs> want to make sure there weren't any turkey legs or <laughs> anything like that. Like that, I would subsequently have to put in my mouth. Mm, mm. Um, no, it's an excellent choice. There we go. I, did, I, did, I was tossing up in my mind between whether to invoke the name Christopher Biggins or Russell Grant. I couldn't. I couldn't choose which one. Um, as long as I, I mean. <clears throat> As long as he didn't try to make me believe it was real, Russell Grant doing some astrology. But you, you, you at those kind of gatherings, um, you need like a cranky old mystic, don't you? Sure, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Justin Topa's just not going to cut it. No, definitely not. Um, you know, because I mean, as, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I've I've, I've had this black cockerel saved up. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the scene, and um, I have been assigned um, explain. Um, the influence of uh, season eight of Doctor Who on um, no, explain the influence of Love Actually on season <laughs> eight of Doctor Who. Throughout the years, working title films and writer Richard Curtis have captured the euphoria, hysteria, and humiliation of love. <laughs> With the films Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, and Bridget Jones's Diary. This holiday season, join this unforgettable filmmaking team. Welcome, Prime Minister. This is Natalie. Hello, David. I mean, sir. 20 years ago, you'd have been just his time. <laughs> As they explore that time of year, when desires are revealed. I'm in love. Aren't you that young to be in love? No. Oh, well, okay. Secrets are exposed. Your secretary is very pretty. Is she? Be careful, then. And chances are finally taken. All I want for Christmas is you. Universal Pictures invites you. What's the best sex you've ever had? Britney Spears. No, I ain't kidding. <laughs> she was rubbish. To take everything you know about love. You have this kind of problem? Yeah, of course you did, you saucy minx. And multiply it by eight. 
Would you excuse me for one second? Okay, that's done. This will be Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, Colin Firth, Laura Linney, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Rowan Atkinson, Kira Knightley. Christmas is the time to be with the people you love. Yeah, I need a car. This holiday season. Does uh, Natalie live here? All you need. Oh. Hello. Is love actually? Are you seeing carols? Uh, I suppose I could. Lisa, Good King Winceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. When the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even. Haha, <laughs> a season eight classic we're talking here, Doc. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure, um, sure. Um, I need to explain how um, Love Actually could easily have been slotted into the middle of season eight um, and nobody would have noticed. Can you remind us of the stories, Doc, if, if, if you don't mind? Um, so that's Terror of the Autons, The Mind of Evil, The Claws of Axos, um, then Frontier in Space and the Demons. Very, very good. Off the top of his head there, listener, as well, yeah. He wasn't he wasn't expecting that question. Um, and obviously Love actually slots in in between the Claws of Axos and Frontier in Space. Mm-hmm. Go on then, Doc. Um, give us, oh, your, give us your, your hypothesis here. Um, it's just got all the um, all of the elements um, that make Season 8 fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. It's got... Um, it's got a pompous, gaseous politician, mm-hmm. um, played by Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think very, very admirably, because I mean, th- th- this 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 was still very much in his um, uh, in his heartthrob days, and I mean, for 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 him to play sort of um, so dramatically against type um, in what was obviously a, a very populist film that was intended to be very popular, um, I, I, I think it's I think it's quite admirable of old Hughie. Is it a Christmas film, Doppler, Actually. It's set at Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. It's sort of it's 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 set between it's it's set like over the, the the two weeks running up to New Year. So a bit like Die Hard. Welcome to Los Angeles. Have a very merry Christmas. So are your lady live out here? About the past six months. Why'd you go with her, man? What's up? Because I'm a New York cop. Can't just pick up and go that easy. John, I missed you. Or be carried out, but have no illusions. We are in charge. Think, damn it, think. We've got a fire alarm. I thought I told all of you I want radio silence. Sorry, I didn't get that message. Mayday, terrorists have seized the Nakatomi Plaza. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? Possible crank call. Check the area and confirm. No signs of disturbance, dispatch. Welcome to the party, pal! Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee guy. You hang in there. Mount to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. You know, it's not actually a Christmas film, as in the Christmasness of it doesn't really matter. But it is set at Christmas. Is that what we're talking about? In both cases, I would say the Christmasness of it does matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's thoroughly secular, mm-hmm. um, but um, in common with Die Hard, um, it has themes of um, 
I suppose, reunion and salvation and a journey which has to be made. Um, sure. Not so much to, to, to fulfill a prophecy, but to, to, to cause to cause something important to happen. Um, and um, a... Um, not so much a, a, a moral awakening as a, a, a cause for moral re-evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So um, I think both of those, both films um, have those things in common, um, which is, I think, what makes them Christmas stories. Good. And of course, makes them perfect season eight stories as well. Um, but it's, 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 it's love, actually, we're talking about now. Um, and that was actually, um, as far as I got, I just think it's thematically appropriate. Um, so I think Barry Letts and, you know, Terence Dix and Malcolm Hulk, um, probably there's there's a scene um, quite close to the end of the film featuring, uh, featuring an ageing sort of glam rock performer um, played with delightful seediness by uh, Bill Nighy. Oh, yes. Um, who's had a surprise Christmas number one. Um, and... Um, he lives in a particularly like sort of seedy old flat in uh, it's it's if it's not Camden it's supposed to be somewhere like that um, which he shares with his manager and you sort of get the idea that they're they're not broke or desperate precisely but they are forced to have a very very modest living from the very very modest royalties from his 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 recordings um, he has a surprise number one um, and he has a chance to he has a late in life chance to play at being a rock star. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and go to Elton John's Christmas party just once. Yeah. Um, and um, in a very touching moment, he decided he, he puts his arm around his manager um, and says that actually that's the person he most he he, uh, he most wants to spend Christmas with. Um, and said, "Let's get drunk on cheap lager and watch porn." Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, what's the name of the writer? It's, it's Richard Curtis, isn't it? Love actually. Um, well, yeah, I, I think it's Richard Curtis by himself. I don't think Ben Elton is actually involved in this one. No, no, because I don't think Ben Elton has wrote any of the of, of the Curtis movies, did he? But I, I think Ben Elton and, and Richard Curtis's kind of collaboration ended with Blackadder. I think. Yeah, I just can't help dropping it in though, because I mean, I I, I just really, really like the idea of the fact that the and it happens to us all. I know it happens to us all, but the hyper-politicised, motor-mouth, angry young man of alternative comedy mm. um, would, less than 20 years later, be writing soppy romantic comedies. Sure, yeah. Um, ben Elton is kind of re- really, really kind of highly reviled by um, many in, 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 in comedy circles. You know, ju- ju- just, I don't know, I, I suppose... I suppose he's viewed as, as as being the ultimate sellout. I guess motherfuckers got to make a living, you know. I know bills to pay and all that shit. I I get that, but you know, I don't know. Uh, going from the young ones. Once in every lifetime, comes a love like this. Oh, I need you, you need me. Oh, my darling, can't you see, young one, darling with a young one.
fucking accepting um, CBE or OBE, whatever? Yeah, I mean, the the lure of um, the lure of respectability is very, very great, though, isn't it? It is, Doc. Can you hear that? crab alarm that's just gone off um, yeah. it, it, i think it's going to go off about every six or seven minutes throughout the duration of this podcast um and, and what that calls for is the first extract from guy and smith's night of the crabs <laughs> um, <laughs> let me give you the setup doc but what's the book called again it's called night of the crabs um let me I give you the setup. catch that <laughs> night of the crabs doc. let me give you the setup at this part of the book um, what's happened is a couple of strong swimmers have gone swimming off um, the Welsh coast, uh, somewhere <laughs> near Shell Island, right? And, and but they've been attacked in the water by something. Um, and, and as the guy died, he realised that it, the last thing he saw was his, his amputated leg floating in the water. <laughs> <laughs> now, his uncle... Is a professor called Professor Cliff Davenport, um, working in London. He's concerned about the disappearance of his nephew, um, and so he's travelled to Landach, I think would be the pronunciation of the Welsh town, somewhere near Barmouth. Um, and he has met a young woman called Pat Benson. She's half his age. Of course, they're instantly in love because that's the way the things work in these books. They've spent. They've both spent the night in a BN, in a B and B, but in separate bedrooms, and they've met for breakfast the following day. So there we go. That's where we're at. Oh, and Professor Cliff Davenport is convinced that it's giant crabs. He's got absolutely no evidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, does the woman have a useless hippie boyfriend um, who our hero is going to have to beat the living shit out of? Later no, no, on? no, no. I'm sorry, no. She, she's 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 an, she's an eligible young lady. Okay. Um, here we go. Both here we go. Both Cliff Davenport and Pat Benson rose late the following morning. Most of the other guests had already breakfasted. Interesting verb to breakfast. I didn't know you could verbify that. There we go. Most of the other guests had already breakfasted and departed by the time they sat down and made a start on their respective melons. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Suddenly, the headline of a newspaper lying on the adjacent table caught the professor's eye. Bathers missing off Welsh coast. He snatched up the paper with trembling hands almost knowing what he was about to read. Quote, following the disappearance of two swimmers off Shell Island last weekend, further people have been reported missing at Borth, Fairbourne and Barmouth late yesterday afternoon. Extensive searches are still going on, but none of the five people have been recovered. Experts believe that dangerous currents have appeared in these waters and have claimed unwary swimmers. End quote. My God, Cliff, Cliff exclaimed. Take a look at this, he said, passing the newspaper across to Pat Benson. It's already begun. The crabs are attacking. <laughs> <laughs> That's your first extract. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, 
I, I have a great admiration for naturalistic dialogue in novel. Oh. <laughs> um, you've oh. written more than I have. You know how difficult, the, the, the most difficult thing, particularly when you're transitioning from drama to prose, Yeah. the most difficult thing is um, moving from the narratorial voice to the voice of a character or characters. Sure. Um, and that is a fantastic example of how not to fucking do it. <laughs> it's so great. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so terrible. It, it, I, I am. The more I'm reading the book, the more I'm convincing. I'm, the more I'm convinced that it, it is a mistake, actually. It's one of those weird things, isn't it? I mean, um, thematically appropriately, since we're talking about the influence of Love Actually on season eight of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that Love Actually is so clearly an influence on season eight of Doctor Who is both of them feature characters who no writer in their sane mind would actually believe exists sure. um, in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a series of like one, one of the one of the vignettes, um, one of the mini stories, um, and I know why she's there. Um, it's to have a nude girl with very pert breasts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because you really can't go wrong with small pert breasts at Christmas time. Absolutely not. No, my, my, my answer, in general, um, when I'm asked, you know, the, 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 you know, what kind, what kind of woman do you like? You know, that kind of question. I always say a, a woman with a body like a twelve-year-old boy. It, 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 it really, really confuses people, Doc. I imagine it pisses a lot of people off as well. And you're absolutely correct. <laughs> um, so, um, I have a fondness for grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike the heroes of Guy and Smith novels, not so much the, not, not so much the melons. You don't t- you don't get stuck in the morning into your respective melons. Do you suppose? <laughs> I, I mean. Like, why not scrambled eggs? Why not cereal? Why not sausage and bacon? Do you think this is Guy Smith, Guy and Smith, attempting to flag something like aspirational and sophisticated about these two characters? No, I, I think it's like a finale finale moment. You know, this is kind of the height. Of, oh, this is like the height of carry on. Um, I, do, I, I really think it's that. I think it's like a double entendre, basically. Right. Yeah. That's what um, I think. You, you, you know, their respective melons. You know, so he, he's kind of he's getting to work on his balls, and, and she's got <laughs> and she's kind of caressing her tits. That's what I think's going on. Though. Um, guy in Smith's mind, by the way, I'll have you. No, no, no. Um, I'm actually now you're narrating the scene. I'm thinking of um, like a a typical, probably just before bankruptcy, Hammer or Tygon or Amicus production when they'd given up on horror because it was too expensive um, and they'd made like a, a wild stab in the dark to see if they could turn some profits on a couple of soft course, soft course conflicts. Sure. Uh-huh. And I'm just sort of imagining the scene where there's a perfectly normal couple sat down to breakfast and as soon as they start eating melon, um, the, the scene will switch to the hypersexualized imagination of one or the other of them. And the guy will be that will, will be sat there slapping his ham like nobody's business. <laughs> and, and, and the woman will be sat there rubbing suntan lotion um, into her big pendulous boobs. <laughs> um, 
I can really imagine that scene happening. Sure, sure. And if it hasn't been made already, Doc, let's make that our mission for 2022. Want to make that film? <laughs> Want to make that scene? Um, All right, Doc, let, let's get back on track. Um, there's a very famous scene in Love Actually, isn't there, where, um, is it Emma Emma Thompson? Um, kind of retreats to her bedroom and weeps and weeps and weeps. Um, and people talk about this as, you know, some kind of, like, transcendental moment for them. Um, how does that scene affect you, Doc? And how does it tie into season eight of Classic Who? Um, it's a real... Uh, I think it's a real bum note um, in the film. Um, it's in the middle of a, a cute, frothy film that wants to entertain the hell out of you and make you feel that there really are good things in the world. Um, and then... Um, it just has to drop this huge fucking bummer in the middle. Mm. Um, and it's it's literally the equivalent of... It's the adult equivalent of um, something that happened when I was in the second year of primary school, so probably age six, um, when we were having our Christmas party before breaking up um, and everyone's mom had made sandwiches or, like, followed the instructions or sent, like, small cupcakes... And we were all sharing them in the middle. And then the headmistress came in and said, don't forget there are children starving in Cambodia. Oh, okay. Yeah, just, you know, why, why, why to kill, kind of kill the vibe? Well, it, it leaves you with the impression that the whole thing had been set up to soften you up for the killer blow. Sure, yeah. Uh -huh. um, you know, what we'll do is uh, we'll let the six-year-olds relax and enjoy themselves. Um, and get settled into a nice groove, and maybe be a little bit happy, and not have to do any uh, uh, any math, uh, any, any, any maths, or uh, recite any poetry or anything. And then, when they're relaxed, when they uh, it, it's it's a classic drill sergeant move, isn't it? Wait till mm. everyone's relaxed, wait till they're off their guard, and then backhand you in the face. When sure, you're expecting it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like sucker punch. Um, and you know, probably followed by the guys uh, you picking yourself up. Picking yourself up off the ground, and the guy screaming in your ear, "Expect the unexpected." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like, I'm looking at the cover of uh, of Love Actually, or, or the either the poster or the cover, probably the same actually. Um, now, one thing that Richard Curtis movies are oft accused of is being very, very kind of white and kind of Little England, basically. And I can't help but notice, Doc, that the cover. Looks very much like, uh, like a, like a stylized St George's cross. Do you think that's deliberate or not? It's one of those accusations. Mm. I'm, um, I'm not making the accusation. I'm just reporting accusations I've heard. What this remind? Uh, yeah, I mean the the accusation is completely fair. Mm. Um, it portrays England as being a country full of nothing but attractive white people. Sure. <laughs> um, but, I mean, is it is it supposed to have some other agenda? Um, I don't know. I remember when Le Destin Fable d'Amalé Poulon Do you know what these people have in common? This is Amelie. 
With the discovery of a simple childhood treasure, she begins a quest to fix other people's lives. And perhaps her own as well. film that is by the way yeah came out mm -hmm. and everyone loved it and mm -hmm. then about six months after it came out it had a massive backlash and i'm assuming this is a very specifically french thing it had a massive backlash um, and got like roundly accused of ignoring the plight of algerian immigrants in paris right. mm -hmm. which i mean it's perfectly true that mm -hmm. film doesn't make any comment on the plight of Algerian immigrants in Paris. <laughs> yeah, because it's just set in one little cafe, isn't it? Um, but, you know, so, I mean, um, I began to get even more and more furious at the film. Um, because, I mean, um, for instance, it has nothing to say about the plight of non-naturalised Koreans in Japan. Sure, absolutely um, outrageous, yeah. And, um, and, 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 and the terrible, terrible plight of, of people that can only speak... Swahili, for example, having to somehow survive in Paris, um, or um, or in New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's got nothing to say about climate change or nuclear war. <laughs> um, so, slavery uh, doesn't even mention slavery. once, Doc? Um, so I mean, um, obviously, this film was written um, from a script um, that was found in the personal belongings of Mussolini. Mm. Correct. Absolutely. Just, just, just out and out fascist behind the yeah. keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's 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 um, it, it's patently Nazi propaganda, and it it, yeah. it, it deserves to be up there um, alongside the Eternal G and Birth of a Nation. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and it it it, 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 it just I suppose exemplifies the, the you know the the nonsense of current society i suppose doc but don't get me started down that road because it's meant to be a christmas special doc we're meant to be here celebrating yeah i mean I, um i often wonder um if for instance richard curtis had tried had, had, had attempted to write a film um with greater diversity mm. um i wonder if he'd have been accused of um uh um experience theft Sure. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Or cultural appropriation. Yeah. You know, anybody that uses that expression just needs to be punched in the fucking face, Doc. Several, several times, I'm afraid. It's an expression that, that has real validity in it. it it's, it's a cultural phenomenon that really happens. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nicking stuff that you have no, and that, that doesn't belong to you and making money from it. Um, yeah, sure, that happens. How can you say that, Doc? I say, standing next to Cleopatra's needle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Doc. Any other ties to, to season eight that we can think of in this? Because you know, you know what's going to happen very shortly. Um, well, obviously, the, um, the thing about um, uh, Love Actually, um, if you look closely, and if you haven't noticed it, you haven't been looking closely enough. So go back and look more closely. Mm -hmm. You can see Roger Delgado's master 
um, in the background of every scene. And he is clearly orchestrating all the events. Ah, uh huh. Like a Machiavellian figure pulling all the strings. Yeah. 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 I like it. Doc, can you hear that? Is that the crab's alarm? The crab alarm's just gone off again. Hang on. Hang on one second. Hang on. Um, no, where are we at the book now? Our heroes, Cliff and Pat, are planning to a sortie back to Shell Island just to confirm their belief. At this point, all they've seen is some weird scuff marks in the sand. And this has automatically led, led them to believe that there's... There's a species of giant crab in, in, killing people. Of course, you know that, that that's where you go. Um, so they're planning a sortie, um, and Pat's very upset because Cliff is saying to her, "No, you, you you're just a woman, basically. You're just a woman. You can't." And, and it is literally phrased like, "You know, you, this is no place for a woman." Um, <laughs> honestly, he actually yes, he says that fucking phrase. Um, and so he, well, I won't. She spoke adamantly as she tackled her food, wrinkling her nose and then pushing the crab to one side and concentrating on the salad. Ugh, she shuddered. Crabs give me the shudders. Check that, check that right, you Ugh, she shuddered. Crabs give me the shudders. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never eat one again. Um, end quote. Cliff, I'm only going on reconnaissance, Cliff went on, just to have a look. I'm not going to do anything. All the more reason for me to come. Pat interjected. Furthermore, Cliff Davenport, if you don't let me come with you, I'll go alone. All right, he conceded. We'll go together, but we'd better get some rest this afternoon. It could be a very long night, particularly if nothing shows up. Exactly <laughs> <right>. <laughs> it, was, it was after 11 o'clock when they left Mrs. Jones's private hotel. The night was warm and the moon was just beginning to come up over the mountains, casting its silvery glow across the whole countryside. Cliff Davenport had a sports jacket over his open neck shirt and was wearing flannels and pumps. Pat Jensen wore polo neck sweater and jeans. They did not take the car, preferring the lengthy walk to Shell Island through the moonlit countryside. What a beautiful night, Pat remarked, as they passed alongside the barbed wire fence which enclosed <laughs> War Department property. If only we didn't have to worry about giant crabs. <laughs> oh my god. It's astonishing. <coughs> Life is good. Brilliant. Life is good. I mean this is this is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Um, I've heard many people say that the kids today and many of the adults today wouldn't be satisfied with the range of Christmas entertainments that were available in the past. Sure. But I promise you, um, if you had a family or for that matter, even if you had friends, um, if you gathered them round and you read extracts from Crabs by Guy Smith, <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, it could take you straight back to the year 1880 when people <laughs> made their own entertainment. Absolutely. Who needs TVs? Who needs PlayStations, man? Who yeah. needs Netflix? Um, in fact, no. I think I think next Christmas um, you should find a local hostelry. I think you should arrange to use the convention room on the Sunday before Christmas. <laughs> they'll, 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 
they'll have a back room that no one's using. And I think you should put up posters, make three of them, one to go in the pub, one to go in the village store, um, and one to go in, like, the old people's drop-in centre. Advertising crap by candlelight. (laughs) 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 And I just read the book. Yes. A spoken word. Absolutely. I think Um, it would only take a couple of hours, you know. It's very short. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think you should wear a velvet smoking jacket. Um, <laughs> Crabs by um, candlelight. Um, you should wear a velvet smoking jacket and um, a green beret with Royal Marines insignia on it. Sure, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I, I just think you, sh- you should read the book from beginning to end. <laughs> now, People Doc, will be riveted. Doc, is love actually your only uh, entry for this evening, or do you no, have no, a second no. one for us? Um, I, I mean. Um, the next one, of course, is um, how uh, season five of Doctor Who was a clear influence on It's a Wonderful Life. Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. I wish I was up there with them. This is me. You remember me? George Bailey. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Uh-oh, uh-oh. I wish I had a million dollars. Go on, Doc. Tell me why. I've, I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life, so uh, educate me. Well, It's a Wonderful Life. It's, it, it's not quite a. It's not quite a time travel story. It isn't actually called time travel. Um, it's about a regular lower middle class guy who is um, a partner in a small community bank, um, what we call a building society on this uh, on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, um, and. Um, he attempts to use his position of power and wealth to do good works in his community. Um, and there is a wicked capitalist um, who works for the proper professional profit-making bank um, who wishes to undermine his little not-for-profit community bank um, so that um, he's then got free reign to put up... Um, slums on the outskirts of town and charge people exorbitant rent for them and introduce um, gambling and boozing and prostitution um, into the town proper to further denude people of their hard-earned money. Sure, um, sure. He arranges what looks like an embezzlement at the building society um, and our hero finds his life going downhill so quickly that he, he plans to commit suicide. Um, at which point, um, so, I mean, so far, so fucking grim. Well, I remember an episode of Friends where Phoebe is very depressed at Christmas and and, and so and the other friends are kind of recommending things that she can watch to cheer herself up. And I think it's Monica recommends It's a Wonderful Life and Phoebe comes back furious saying, you know, why do you recommend that? It's a sucky life. Everything sucks and now Christmas sucks even more. Basically, if you drop out before the last 15 minutes... That's it, yeah. Um, 
which you are kind of inclined to do because it's such a fucking downer all the way through from mm. beginning to end. Mm. Um, so an angel appears and shows him what life would be like for everybody if he had never existed. Mm. Um, and guess what? It's even worse. Right. Oh, yeah, sure. So th- um, it, it, it's a twist on Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, I take it, in some way. So, some kind of like bastardization of, the, of that story. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's there's there's the very specific um, Ghost of Christmas Future segment of A Christmas Carol where the Ghost of Christmas Future um, shows Scrooge what the world would be like um, if um, if he wasn't in it, mm-hmm. um, and it's very much better. Sure. Um, and everyone's celebrating at his funeral. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there are like children dancing on his grave, and I, I think someone says like a great evil has passed from the world or something <laughs> like this. <laughs> Um, Did, didn't you get a T-shirt made at one point that said that, Doc? Um, yeah, when Margaret Thatcher died. There we go. <laughs> yeah, a great evil has passed from this world. Brilliant. Um, <clears throat> and um, and then the last fifteen minutes of um, "It's a Wonderful Life" um, are, I, and it's I like it because it's not a magical reset button. Yeah. Um, Everyone's financial problems are not suddenly solved. The world doesn't become a miraculous place. Mm-hmm. But it's a tiny little reminder that good people doing small but good works um, are sometimes um, all that is needed to resist the occupying forces of, well, the occupying forces of capitalism. And how does um, this tie into season five of Doctor Who? Um, because it's very much the the needed resolution to season five of Doctor Who. Um, the fascinating thing for Patrick Trout near a Doctor Who for me um, is it. I think unintentionally, but it shows up the problems of anarchism, um, which is to say, and we don't mind it doing this because it's Doctor Who. And, you know, we don't want to watch a problem, a, a, a television program about the Doctor sticking around to clear up the mess he's just made. Mm. But fundamentally, and starting with Power of the Daleks and going on, the Doctor leaves a huge clusterfuck behind him wherever he goes. Sure. Presumably, like, it's then everyone else's job to put back together and repair. Do you really care about that, though, Doc? This is something that like modern superhero movies have tried to grapple with, you know, the idea that, um, you know, like Superman takes on General Zod and his two minions, yeah, and 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 of course, you know, it, it causes absolute mayhem and destruction in the process, and there must be collateral damage. You know, in those buildings collapsing effectively, and you know, yeah. and cars being smashed up left, right, and centre. People are dying and getting maimed, and life-changing injuries, etc. Now, by tackling by tackling that and, and and kind of grounding it, making it real, doesn't it take away some of the magic? So, does it matter? Who cares? Um, there's all kinds of readings you can attach to this. Yeah. Um, the most obvious one, in in my opinion, the most relevant is that Patrick Troughton era Doctor Who was undoubtedly more than any part of Doctor Who ever um, a product of a product of its times um, a product of what was happening in the world which is over the years 1967, 1968 and 1969 it looked greatly like the world you thought you knew was coming apart at the seams Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. and there was likely to be a revolution of some kind or 
a, a very large scale change. Um, it, 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 it almost sounds like you're talking about today, Doc, almost, you know? I wasn't around during the late 1960s, and obviously I'm, 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 I'm very much around now. Mm. Um, all I see at the moment, all I see in the, like, pretty much since, since the year 2000, and then, like, a little more each year, and then particularly since, I, I'd, I'd say, the year 2010, all I see is culture going nowhere. Mm. Mm. Um, I think human society is very, very, very far from a revolution at the moment. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I get the opposite sense, Doc. I, I think there's a war coming. I don't think anyone's got the money or the motivation. I, I, I don't mean like um, a militaristic war, more like a, like just like a, a social upheaval. Oh, no, 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 not for you, no. Doc. It, 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 I hope you're. I hope you're right. Incidentally, um, I, I don't think. I, f I, I feel as though it's been a very long time since I witnessed anything revolutionary in popular culture. Mm. Um, I think it's a long time since I I even saw any calls for um, let's get rid of all this old crap and let's have something brand new. Mm. Um, and the the recycling and the re-retroification. Um, I mean, you, you get to the stage now that you were just talking about superhero films. Yeah. Film franchises, for instance, drag on for so fucking long. Oh. But, um, even the idea of retro no longer has any meaning. Um, there was a I, I had the radio on earlier on, um, and they were playing Christmas songs, and they played a Christmas song by Shawadi Wadi. There was a time when Top of the Pops was nothing without Shawadi Wadi. So here they are. It's Christmas 1974. Hey, Mr. Christmas. were a novelty retro act who were, you know, to the hilarity of everybody, were emulating the, the late 1950s in the mid-1970s. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so something 15 years old was already subject for retro and laughable and, 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 and mocking comic retro at that, um, except for your gran who might have earnestly liked it. And I suppose that's demonstrative of the pace of cultural change at that time, wasn't it? That, you know, so much had changed in 15 years or maybe 18 years, whatever, that, you know, to step back 18 years did seem ludicrous, did seem bizarre. You know, if you compare, let's think about this, Doc. If you compare, I don't know, um, a TV show from let's say 1985 to something from 1967 that's the same period yeah and and, and clearly ident identifiably different periods of existence aren't they but i i think if you you know if you go back to 2003 compared to today and that's the same kind of period i don't think you get that same differential i'm rewatching sopranos at the moment
that could have been made. I mean, I tell you, the, the only giveaway are the fucking phones, pretty much everything else, and, and the cars, you know, the cars look a bit different, but pretty much everything else is the same, Doc. Yeah, um, we've talked at length um, in the past about how what people call the 1960s is by no means the 10 years between 1960 and 1970. Sure. Um, the 1960s started a lot later than the year 1960, and truth be told, they dragged on for a lot longer than... Um, yeah. I'd, I'd, um, I'd go 63 to 73 is really the 60s. And, uh, I mean, we, we talked about a bunch of like candidates for bookends. Um, I think, generally speaking, most people think that the assassination of John F. Kennedy is the start of the 1960s and the breakup of the Beatles is the end. Oh, so that's 63 to 69, isn't 70, it? Oh, well, 70s, um, yeah, 70s, yeah. Um, I think the ballad of John and Yoko was released as a single in February 1970. Fair enough, Doc. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Doc, um, can you hear that? Is that what I think it is? <laughs> can you hear that, Doc? <laughs> I can. I can. It's the crab alarm. Here we go. Um, right. So, our heroes, they did their sortie, and <clears throat> they're, they're, they're totally convinced that there's giant crabs, but they, but they still haven't seen them yet. But but for some reason, they're absolutely convinced. Um, and so they're going back again. But, you know, as you do when you're waiting for giant crabs to arrive, you just have to have sex, don't you, Doc? You just have to have <laughs> sex. Right? It's normal, right? It's normal. Here we go. Um, their lips met again, tongues probing and entwining. Both of them were experiencing the awakening of something which had lain dormant in them for so long. Rapidly, they were getting out of control. Nothing else mattered. Not even the giant crabs. Um, Cliff withdrew his left hand from the warmth of Pat's sweater and felt for the fastener on her jeans. Then he pulled her zip down and she lifted herself up slightly off the ground so that he could unclothe her. The whiteness of her thighs was in itself seductive in the soft moonlight, the darker triangle of soft fluffy hair between them seeming to withhold secrets from him, secrets of men who had lain there, men who had been sexually satisfied beyond their wildest dreams <laughs> <laughs> and, of, and of one man who had walked away in preference for another woman is befuddled cliff rolled in between her open legs she still had a grip and you've hung, haven't you she's hang on hang on she still had a grip on his hardness and now she was guiding it down where she wanted it check this line doc bathing it first in her warm river of desire and then sliding it down further until it disappeared inch by inch. After that, <laughs> nothing else mattered. He'd repeated again, nothing else mattered. Their bodies booked and heaved as they murmured sweet nothings in each other's ears before finally convulsing in a violent eruption that left them quivering and still yearning for each other. Reluctantly, they parted and adjusted their clothing past <laughs> Her hair awry and her cheeks flushed looked more beautiful to Cliff than ever before. I'm more than glad I'll let you come with me tonight, he whispered as he zipped himself up again. I'm afraid, though, 
that we must still keep an eye open for those giant crabs. <laughs> Honestly, Doc. I mean, it's got to it, be a piss take. Is it, is it idiocy or genius? It's fucking great. To, to write such an appalling sex scene and drop constant references to a really crude metonymy for a sexually transmitted disease. I know. I, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? That, 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 um, I'm convinced of. It's, it's so great. Um, I think that might be the last crab alarm for tonight, but I hope you enjoyed it, listeners. It's, uh, honestly, everybody listening, go and buy Night of the Crabs by Guy and Smith. It's sensational stuff. I'm just little by little. I'm falling in love with Guy and Smith. <laughs> um, I mean, I, at some point, like when we play this game again, I'm going to have to talk about how the work of Guy and Smith clearly influenced. Well, shall we say season season 13 of Doctor Who? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you can make a heavy case for Macra Terra, couldn't you, Doc? Oh, definitely. There we go. Um, that's, that's an obvious one. But, but uh, just the passages you've been reading out. Uh, when we go, when we part company this evening, I want you to close your eyes and imagine those done in the style of season thirteen Doctor Who. Season thirteen. Remind, remind me of the story, Doctor. You're better at well, this that, than me. That starts the Terror of the Zygons. Oh yeah, and goes through to um, the Seeds of Doom. Oh yes, very good. Oh yeah, so, absolutely yes. correct. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and the perfect era, I, I, I suspect. Because I think I think Night of the Crabs is seventy four, and that would be what seventy five or so. Season thirteen. Yes. Yeah. There we um, go. So yeah. I mean, I, I specifically just, if you have time, go and watch Terror of the Zygons. Sure. And sure. just imagine that production. Because um, the production values are pretty good on that one. It, uh-huh. it, it, it's, it's, it's a great looking story. It would easily pass for a cheap British film from the same period. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. Um, um, I think Android Invasion, you could maybe say the same thing about. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but Terror of the Zygons has got more scenes like actually on a beach and at the seaside, and it, it, it's it's got a giant creature that comes out of the sea. Sure. <laughs> in it. And yeah. um, I I think you could like squint a bit and you could really, really imagine how a script by Guy N. Smith could have fit in perfectly with that season. <laughs> it's great, Doc. Um, and uh, I mean, honestly, isn't Night of the Crabs even the most season 13 title you can think of? Oh, certainly. Yeah. 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 I'd definitely watch it. No doubt about it. Um, where were we, Doc? What, what, what were we talking about? Um, I was talking about how season five of Doctor Who is clearly a um, an influence on It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. But it's a Wonderful Life is 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 a time travel story. It, it, in other words, it it deals with the consequences of changing timelines. Yeah. Um, and it's if you like, it's it's the piece of healing that very very anarchist, very irresponsible in a good way because i love it and nobody loves patrick Tra- like let's let's just make sure um i say all of these things very clearly i love patrick trout near a doctor who sure um, mm-hmm. i love it i love everything about it um and i genuinely it i find it a genuine guilty pleasure to really enjoy the anarchistic side of it mm. um the fact that what the Doctor does is turn up and defeats the dictator or the aliens or whatever and smashes everything to fucking pieces um, and leaves it in pieces um, and leaves all the poor saps like to put everything back together again. And it's such childish wish fulfillment fantasy. 
Sure, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, which is poignant when you're a little child and you and, and you don't have responsibility and you don't understand why you can't leave the playpen in a mess. Mm. And it's even more attractive when you are an adult and you do have responsibility and you really wish just sometimes you could shook it off. Sure. And somebody <laughs> else clean and just and somebody and just leave somebody else to clean up that fucking mess for you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, leave um, leave, your, leave your your detritus around you, and, and when you wake up in the morning with a hangover, it's all gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, get it done. And um, so I feel as though it's a wonderful life. Um, is the um, is the responsible arm of season five, um, and it ends up it, it's it's very much focused on the people who are going to be left with putting everything back together again mm. um, at the end. And it doesn't show them doing it because that wouldn't be, you know, watching people um, working tirelessly for the good of their community um, and making their contributions um, might be very heartwarming, but it wouldn't be very exciting cinema. No, sure. No, sure would it? You're right. Doc, do you have a third one? Because I, I, th- I, think, I think time is against us. We, we, we don't want this Christmas special to be uh, over-bloated, do we? And, yeah. and once we, you know, once we cut the clips and stuff in, you know, we're, we're already kind of looking at an hour and a quarter. Well, then, obviously... Um, so, I can't understand why there isn't more scholarly writing on this subject. And I'm obviously going to talk about the influence of The Caves of Androzani on The Revengers Tragedy by Cyril Turner. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um... Pretty obvious. I mean, any anybody listening should have guessed that that's where you were going. To be to be fair, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I, I don't understand why nobody has put together the obvious influence of a piece of television from 1985 um, on a play from 1607. Yeah, <laughs> the spectacularly gnarly, gory, excessively florid plot and prose. Um, is sort of something that Robert Holmes invented and like cut from the whole cloth. Um, it's gone on to influence lots of other things as well. I mean, um, uh, uh, everything from The Last King of Scotland to uh, The Departed, mm. um, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anything where someone seeking revenge takes a lowly job in the organisation of the person they're out to get um, and perversely becomes one of that person's most trusted lieutenants and um, rises to a very high position of power within their organisation. Now, I, I, lo- I, I love the Revengers tragedy. Um, I studied it at college and, you know, it, it, it kind of spoke to me in a way that Shakespeare's tragedies never did. And I think it was the... You know the outright gory nature of of, of, of of the goings on that really floated my boat. There's a sensational sequence in it where I think um, I can't remember why, um, <clears throat> but but they're planning to poison somebody, and the way that they choose to poison him is by um, kind of I think almost like faking a marriage, and they poison the lips of a skeleton. And then dress the skeleton up in 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 in, in bridal costume with yeah. a veil, and he kind of lifts the veil, and it, it's too dark to see. And he kisses these these lips that are well, no lips really. It's a skeleton. It's a skull, but he kisses it, and the poison is is dispensed. You know, it, it's that kind of ghoulish grisliness that, that that really really attracted me to it. 
Oh, yeah, I mean, um, you can understand, can't you, why it was suppressed so heavily during the 19th century, during during the Victorian era? Sure. Um, I mean, why Victorian scholars, like, wanted to disavow that English literature or literature in the English language could ever have come up with anything so scurrilous? Mm -hmm. And it's... It's absolutely fantastic, and I mean the the the, the influence it draws from, um, like Peter Davison's last last story. Um, there's a great line that Sharaz Jack has that I always feel could come really really easily from Turner or Kid or any of those people um, when um, he's talking about the, the the revenge he wants to carry out on Morgus, and he says, um, "I shall not rest." Um, until I have the head of that perfidious freak at my feet congealed in its own blood. Oh, that's great! Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> and this was at, this was at seven o'clock at night on a, mm. on a Thursday. Mm. Did you see it go out live, Doc? Caves of Andes yes. Army. Did you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Did it have an immediate impact, or is it kind of retrospectively that you've gained this appreciation? It's one of those Doctor Who stories, and the more I think about it. Because the John Nathan Turner era coincided with me at my most impressionable, it's another one of those stories that embedded something into me um, that I felt the need to follow up later. Um, it's probably fair to say when I saw it for the first time, it, I, I found it a bit slow and wordy. Sure. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that like, by the time we got round to reading Macbeth when I was 12, and then by the time we got round to Jacobean drama probably when I was 15, um, I took to that stuff so very, very easily because I'd, and very, very lightly because I'd been primed by the cave, by, by, by watching the caves of Androzani at a very, very impressionable age. Yeah, great. Yeah, it, 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 it's fascinating, isn't it? How, you know, kind of one individual piece of media really can kind of, I don't know, just open us up to a whole new world of possibility, basically. Yeah, and I mean, it's... <clears throat> it it seemed to happen so frequently. Um, and for a long time, I thought it was just me. But when, when you get talking to people later in life who are Doctor Who fans, sometimes before you were, or sometimes at the same time, and almost everyone's got a story like that. Yeah. Um, um, that... I got into this quote-unquote serious thing, this serious, proper, grown-up, properly, literally, properly, literally adult thing because of this Doctor Who story. Sure. Mm -hmm. Or, like, because of this particular era of Doctor Who. Um, you, have a, you have a friend, don't you, who has, who has quite, quite a high-profile, high-powered job because of Doctor Who? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll... Um, I'll come back to that a bit later because uh, it, it's um, it's a nice story, um, and well, can we come back, can can we come back to, to that on New Year? Of course we can, Doc. Yeah, it's it's make a mental note, and we'll. Uh, in, in fact, I'll make a note on our, um, on our on our kind of master document. Here we go. So yeah, um, very specifically, there's there's an acquaintance of mine who um, effectively became interested in mathematics because of. Um, Watching Logopolis and then watching Castrovalba. Yep. Um, and it it's interesting because even though at a very high level, I think to myself the John Nathan Turner tenure of Doctor Who is not really very good. Um, inevitably, because it coincided with such a very very impressionable 
time of my life when I was mature enough to be excited by intellectual topics, but I wasn't yet mature or worldly enough to really understand intellectual topics. <clears throat> what it serves when you're that age is um, effectively to... Um, it doesn't set off spot. It, it, it doesn't light fires. Um, it, it puts things in your mind <clears throat> that I think become become kindled or, or, or become sort of burst into flame mm. um, later on. Yeah, it's it, it just planting seeds, isn't it, basically, Doc? Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> you know the way that, like, when you when you buy paperback books nowadays, they inevitably have um, a little sticker on them that says, if you liked X, you'll love this. Sure. Um, I really, really wish there'd been, like, further reading notes at the end of the end credits of Doc, you know, um, mm. at the end of the case of Adrazani. If you liked this, you should check this out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely idea, actually. I think Amazon do do something like that, don't they? If, you, if you've got Amazon Prime, which I do not have, by the way, mm. there is something called Insight, I think it's called, yeah. where if you're watching the episode, you can kind of press a button, press a button on your remote control, and it gives you kind of additive information, and, and I think it is stuff like like bibliographies and further reading and shit like that that you might be interested in. It's, it's a great idea, Doc. Yeah, um, just occurred to me then. Doc, um, can you hear that? Is that what I think it is? Hold on, hold on. I thought we were done. Here we go. So, what's happening at the moment? Um... Well, Our we, heroes. We, we must be getting quite close to the end of episode one of Night of the Crabs now, haven't we? Well, I think we, I think we, I think we've seen the cliffhanger, and we just, we, we just at the start of episode two because the cliffhanger. Our heroes saw the crabs emerge from the sea, yeah, and they took out a beachcomber and tore him to pieces, basically, and they, and, and they were gassed. Um, so th- 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 that's exactly where we are. Suddenly, so we we are seeing the actual episode, end of episode one would be like the man and the woman hugging each other like this, yeah, and then yeah. the um, there'd be a crash zoom out from the dismembered beach beach coma. That's it. A crash zoom in onto their faces, Correct. and then a crash zoom in onto the crab. Brilliant, and that's exactly where we are, right? So that's yeah. just happened. Um, suddenly, the clicking and crunching of bones ceased. The silence. <laughs> was even more terrible than had been the sounds of carnage. The crabs just squatted on the sand, as though paying homage to their king. His eyes were on them, his countenance evilly bloated. Of Bartholomew, the beachcomber, there was no sign. Not even a splinter of bone remained. On the silver sand, there was a large dark patch. But even this was fast disappearing, as the tide stretched over it, as though thirsting for the last remains of the beachcomber. How? How awful? The words came in a... <laughs> the words came in a tortured gasp from Pat. She felt as though she was about to faint. She was glad of Cliff Davenport's comforting arm. Together they vomited into the spiky grass of the sand dunes, all the time fearful that the sound of their spewing would be heard by the nightmare <laughs> army of horrors from the deep. She whispered at length, peering over the top of the dunes. Nothing, Cliff replied. At the moment, anyway. Maybe they're satisfied now they've feasted. Or perhaps they'll dot, 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 search for more. Hadn't we better go while we can? 
she urged. He nodded. He knew it was the logical thing to do, yet somehow it was like being hypnotised. He just had to stay and watch. The clicking began again, slower this time. King Crab's claw was in the air, circling, slowing down like some pointer of doom, seeking <laughs> another victim. Instinctively, Cliff ducked, pulling Pat down with him. The pincer came round, faltered as it centred on the place where they lay hidden and then passed on. The two humans sighed with relief. They had not been singled out as crab food tonight. <laughs> the first one minute, the first minute and a half, was getting dangerously close to good right. I, I mean, that, that could have passed for Terence Dix at, at, at his most harried. Yeah. <laughs> if he'd have told me that was from a Terence Dix novelization of a long lost Philip Pinch Glyphera story, I would have believed you. Sure. Um, but when it starts to get to the point about the pincer circling like some pointer of doom. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And what I love is the fact it's kind of it's being written as if it's from it's not directly the perspective but it, it's as if it's what the people can see so pat and cliff can see this stuff happening yeah but then they you know that they drop down behind uh the the rock or whatever and yet and, and they can still apparently magically see all of this stuff going on um and, you know that they sigh they see that so they're hidden from view the king but crab the see, massive crab they, they see, see the circling they, they can see so they can see it highlight where they were sitting or standing and then move on and, and they can see all this from behind the rock no, it's absolutely fucking it is a doc i think it's my favorite book ever it's absolutely great <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you what if um what's it going to be like december the 22nd um next year if i don't get to come and participate in crabs by candlelight <laughs> He'll be very, very upset. Um, in fact, um, if you can't fix it up at the pub uh, in the village where you live, I'm just going to have to pay you out of my own pocket to come and do it in my living room. Sure, fair enough. Just, it, just it, for me. Let's make it happen, Doc. That, that won't be weird at all. Let's make it happen. <laughs> 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 um, Doc, I think we need to think about wrapping this Christmas special up, to be honest. you know, Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Mo's getting tired. And once I, I can't think of a rhyme. Go on, finish that. Finish that for me, Doc. Um, and Doctor L needs a shat. Oh, there we go. Very good. <laughs> yeah, Chris is coming. The goose getting fat. Mo's getting tired, and Doctor L needs a shat. There we go. Any <laughs> last thoughts, Doc, on on, um, um, on your final movie choice? There. It wasn't strictly. A, it wasn't strictly a movie. It was a play. I know. I don't. Oh, the, oh, you're right. You talked about Revenge's tragedy. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, that 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 well-known film from the year sixteen eleven or whatever. That's right. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's uh, a great film, Doc, but the, the the direction's a bit dated. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I mean, um, the uh, the CGI isn't very good at all, no. is it? Um, I um, I didn't think that rotting skull remotely convincing. No, not at all. Um, I mean, no. you know, the, 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 there are, there are some liner notes that insist that because it was the year sixteen eleven, um, and human life was not valued as highly as it is now, it probably actually was a rotting skull. Oh God! I mean, can you believe when that came out was an eighteen war? And that's a page, eh? Hey? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, weird. <dog. laughs> 
Um, I've enjoyed myself. Um, listeners, I hope you've uh, enjoyed the sort of slight exercise in eccentricity. Yeah. Um, honestly, Mo and I needed to decompress after the slightly stressful experience of trying to be serious and scholarly and even-handed and objective about flux. I've just got a couple more things to say about that before we wind up. Go on, I, What about flux? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want those six hours of my life back. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I want five, Total crap, wasn't it? I want, I, I want five out of six of those hours of my life back because um, the um, Village of the Angels can stay. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Angels episode was, was so good. I mean, it really was the pearl in the pile of shit, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it, that was so good. And the reason was because it had almost nothing to do with the rest of the crap that was going on. Um, I've had two weeks to think about this and, and two weeks to genuflect and reflect on it. And I still can't mine anything approaching a story out of the thing. Um, no, there's this thing called the Flux that did the Santarans create it? Well, it, it can't even make it. It can't even make up its own mind what story it wants to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts a bunch of them and never finishes any of them, and then some of them start halfway through and they don't finish either. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I've tried as hard as I can to really think of ways of extrapolating how it's a piece of bold experiment. I, I mean, I, I, I got as far as like. I went back and thought about it, and I I listened to Ornette Coleman, um, and I tried to put myself in, in in the position of imagine you're listening to that first Ornette Coleman album in the year 1959, um, just trying to make sense of what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not surprised so many people put the record away um, in their cupboard and never listen to it again. And basically, what you know, um, that's not music. It's got no tunes. It's got no rhythms. You can't tap your foot along to it. Sure. And I tried to, you know, sort of imagine, have have I just watched the shape of Doctor Who to come? Um, have I just watched the future um, of narrative? Um, is it me? Do I need to break out of these conceptions of expecting everything to have a story and a beginning, a middle and an end? Um, do I need to, like, start thinking about Doctor Who has got to be more than that? I don't think it was attempting to do anything new. Um, I just think, um, you know, you'll you'll hear people who really do not like Ornette Coleman talking about the album as um, it's a bunch of otherwise talented people arsing around and making a noise in a recording studio. What's what's the name of the album, Doc, so so we can drop a sample in? um, The Shape of Jazz to Come. Fair enough.
in the end, no. Um, I'm not unused to complicated methods of storytelling. I'm not used to. I'm, I'm not unused to stream of consciousness. Um, I'm not unused to things that don't have a plot. Um, but this didn't so much as not have a plot as a decision, as a statement of narrative. Um, it was a whole bunch of stuff that looked like it was swept up off the floor and some of it didn't start and none of it finished. Mm. There were characters that weren't characters. Mm. Um, and there were um, like threats that turned out not to be threats or that turned out to be nothing worth worrying about. And there were climaxes that almost looked like they got backed out of at the last minute. Sure. Um, and well, the, the, the two that stand out for me would be like Swarming Azure, yeah, and the Grand Serpent. I mean, the, the, you know, the, basically the two big bads were just dispatched with, with such alacrity. It was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, um, including one of them by having someone trick him into walking through yeah, a door. Wow. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, like a child. Um, and the other two, um, someone, uh, they, the other two characters, they got a demotion because their boss was cross with them. Mm. <laughs> You're right, Doc, yeah. Doc, have a really, really great Christmas. Let me you say too. that to you. Um, and I think the next time we'll be on air um, will be for the. The new, the, 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 I think they call it the festive special now, don't they? Eve of the Daleks. Um, so d d I imagine what we'll do, you know, d as long as the good doctor here is available, we'll watch the episode, we'll record the ep, and then we'll try and get we, we, we'll try and get the podcast out on the same day, if possible. Absolutely, it's uh, it sounds great to me. Um, so please enjoy your Christmas week too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um. And um, yeah, uh, sorry, um, here's something I mustn't miss the opportunity to do. Um, as William Hartnell said um, at the end of episode seven of the Dalek Master Plan, and a very Merry Christmas to all of you at home. Mm. Beautiful, Doc. And with that, we shall say, there you are.